This is the You Can Learn Chinese podcast, part of the Seneca Network from the China Project. For everyone who's trying to learn Chinese or reaching for the next level, you came to the right place. I'm your host, Jared Turner, co-founder of the Mandarin Companion Graded Reader Series, and my hyperbole skills are astounding. My co-host is John Passon, co-founder of Mandarin Companion, founder of All Set Learning, the Chinese Grammar Wiki, Sinosplice.com, and thinks communism jokes are only funny if everyone gets it. We have a special episode today. Let's get to it. Hey guys, this is Jared Turner coming at you from Utah, kind of, in this episode. <laughs> hey everybody, I am John Pazin. I am still in Shanghai and I am happy to be making a brief appearance in this episode in which Jared kind of takes the spotlight. All right, well, this is the summer holiday. We are going to be on lots of different trips and so we've been saving this episode. Okay, so Jared, what is special about this episode? Why am I making a very minor appearance? Because it's a lot better when you're involved than just me. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, why? Why is it less of me than normal? What is our actual topic? Well, this episode is going to be a speech I gave and some interviews I did when I was in England in June for the Swire Chinese Language Conference. Okay, so can you tell us a little bit about this conference and、uh, what did you talk about at the conference? So this Chinese language conference it was a little bit different. So it's put on by the Swire Company, and now they are a UK company. They've been around for like 150 years. They've been doing business in Hong Kong for a long, long time. And it was some about 10 years ago they decided they wanted to do something to promote Chinese language education. So they've done a lot to fund and promote Chinese language programs in primary and secondary education in the UK. And so this conference was for all of the teachers and other like headmasters and administrators who were involved in Chinese language education inside of their sponsored system in the UK. Okay, and on this trip, as I understand it, you actually had the opportunity not just to attend the conference, but also to get into some of these classrooms in the UK to see British kids learning Chinese. Is that right? That's right. That's right. I got to say, it was a big honor. I was invited to come out and be the keynote speaker for that event. In preparation for that,、uh, I came in just about a half a week early on the Thursday and Friday before the conference. The conference was on a Monday.、Um, I had the opportunity to go observe classes and meet a bunch of the teachers in one of the areas of London and in Oxford. And that was really illuminating. Really kind of helped me understand what it's like for them teaching Chinese in compulsory education in the UK. Okay, and and what are the different ages of learners that you got to see? Oh, really, John? I got to see the wide gambit. So, everywhere from like as early as year three up till year ten, nine, ten-ish, pretty wide range. I got to visit like six different schools, six or seven seven schools, I think. So it it was a really fantastic opportunity. Now, an important question that I got to ask: Did you bring our famous graded reader gun and just shoot out graded readers into the classroom to a screaming crowd of kids? More, more or less, more or less. No, actually,、awesome. no, no. <laughs> I didn't actually get to talk to too many of the kids. Although one teacher, she did bring me up in front of the class. It was a bunch of sixth graders, and、uh, since I'd lived in China and spoke Chinese,、uh, they got to ask me questions for like ten minutes, and that that was pretty fun. They they just kept pepper me with, with you know interesting questions about living in China and learning Chinese. It was it was it was fun. So、uh, one last question: Was this like a a big conference, or was it like a cozy little pub gathering? Oh, that's a good question. So we had about two hundred people in attendance. 
I, I believe it was roughly about 150, 160 actual Chinese language teachers. And then the rest are largely like headmasters or they're people over the school district involved with like the world languages is one of the terms we would use here in the States. But they're, they're involved in overseeing that all that education for languages. All right. Well, Jared, I think I shall let you take the stage and let's actually hear what you did in England. All right. Let's do it. Um, my name is Rob Neal. What I'd like to do now is introduce our next keynote speaker, Jared Turner, all the way from Utah, America. All I'd like to say is in lockdown, I was pushing a baby around Whittenshaw Park and I stumbled across his podcast called You Can Learn Chinese. And it was, it got me through lockdown. I binge listened to about a hundred episodes and I learned a lot. Jared's got a remarkable gift for communication, for making really difficult second language acquisition and findings relevant to teaching Mandarin. Uh, so thank you. And not only that, I'm, I'm a bit from the past school of learning Mandarin Chinese. So I, I lived in Beijing for two and a half years and got my listening and speaking up pretty well, just fully immersed in, in that life in Beijing. Um, but my literacy, my developed sort of reading and writing leads, uh, you know, I need to work on it. So I also discovered Jared's um, graded reading series called Mandarin Companion, and I started reading books for fun. And it was really, really motivating because suddenly I could read a book, okay, it only had 300 characters, and then 450 characters. But for someone like me, it really, really helped my, not only reading and writing Chinese, but my speaking and listening. So I'd just like to say, thank you, Jared. I know you're aiming at students, but actually as a teacher, I found it incredibly useful. As a part, it's a Mandarin companion, uh, check it out. Anyway, um, I've been very cheeky. I'll shut off and hand over to Jared Turner. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. I'm really excited to be here. I'm really honored to be here to talk about something that's dear to my heart in, in two respects. So I lived in China for eight years, but I also lived in England for two years. I'm from Utah. Maybe you know Utah. It's the center of the Mormon church. And I was a Mormon missionary here in England from 1989 to 2001. So it's really special for me to be back here. Just a quick little bit about me is I started learning Chinese when I was 30. Like Teddy was talking, he's like, I'm a businessman. Well, so am I. I did an MBA. So I lived in China for eight years. We lived a very local life. My kids went to local Chinese schools in China, became very familiar with the Chinese educational system. I started my publishing company, Mandarin Companion, Chinese Graded Reader Series. We've also have a podcast called You Can Learn Chinese about learning Chinese with my business partner, John Pazin and I. And that's been going on for over four years now. We have over about, we're an episode, I think 115. And I also have the most popular Chinese language learning meme account on social media. I make a lot of memes. Only the people in the front row can really see this meme, I think, but it, it's a good one. Yeah, Mr. Bean it. Okay. And I have delivered two babies. So uh, that's just some things about me. So I have five kids and two were born in China. I, I delivered those kids in our tiny little apartments. So that's a whole nother story. All right. So first off, I want to talk a little bit about stakeholders in education. There's a lot of people that are involved in education of our students. We usually, we talk teachers. There's so much focus on what you guys need to do your job. And it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to be a teacher. We have administrators, there's parents, and there's community that's involved in this. But 
What we really like at Manor Companion, my business partner and I, John, we are not native speakers of the language. So we are second language speakers. What we try to really focus on is the learner's perspective about what we're doing. That's really what we're trying to do. And in uh, 2001, we decided to do a rebrand of Manor Companion. That's my business side of me. So what we did is we need to have, make sure have a better understanding of learners. So we decided to do a survey. I used to work in market research, so it was a little convenient for this. We put together a survey, we tested this out, we got a lot of feedback from language learners before we even launched this thing. And we were hoping for a few hundred responses, we ended up getting 1,162 responses from Chinese language learners from all over the world, 91 different countries. That kind of blew us out of the water. This was fantastic data. So the next thing is that from a business standpoint, you usually try to do something called a cluster analysis. You want to try to find, are there any statistically significant groups in the data? Now, I've done a lot of data analysis, uh, but it got really complex. We ended up having to hire a data scientist to, to comb through this and even took him two weeks uh, working together closely on this. But ultimately, we found six distinct groups of learners. The thing about this, that it was all based on only one statistically significant variable. And there were, out of all the data, all everything, there's only one statistically significant data variable. And that was, why did you decide to learn Chinese? That was it. And I'm telling you, we even took this variable then and we cross-analyzed it with everything else. Nothing else is statistically significant. It was only, why did you start learning Chinese? People got to select up to three reasons. Most people selected one or two. We found these six distinct groups. So this is what I'm going to talk to you guys about today. What were these six distinct groups of learners? And, uh, and how does that affect you, especially in the classroom? So these are the six types of learners. And we gave them names. So one, language enthusiasts. Two, cultural connectors. Three, aspirational learners. Four, functional learners. Five, career-focused learners. And the sixth one, obligated learners. So we're going to start walking through this, who these people are. Language enthusiasts. Learning Chinese and achieving something difficult is its own reward. These are largely motivated by intellectual curiosity. They enjoy learning languages. It's, they enjoy the challenge. These are the students who are already getting top marks. They're doing well in all their classes. This is Pat, actually. He's like, why did I start learning that? And my mom's sitting here, yeah, he, he's a language enthusiast. That, that's, that's what got him going. And you know, just started like, like you, you enjoy this stuff. So, so yeah, these are your top set students. They're ready coming to learn. They're ready to put in the effort. This is actually most language learners. Actually, these students, usually they'll continue to learn they don't take a lot of work. You know what I mean? Those students just seem to kind of be intrinsically motivated in, in learning the language. The second group, cultural connectors. Chinese is a tool for me to connect with Chinese culture and people. So language, it's a tool to connect with something or someone. And that could be a wide range of what it is. But they have interests. There's something about the language. They're motivated by that desire to connect. And there are, a lot of them have an intellectual curiosity as well. As I'm getting into this, you may say, and Patrick, I'm going to pick on you again, because you're also a cultural connector, clearly, to me. Usually they'll have kind of one driving for motivation, but motivation will also change over time. And I think that was your case, Patrick, as well. Intellectual aspect, but then became more relevant in your life and connecting with people. Third, this one I felt like took me the most time to understand because it's a little bit more abstract and we really don't think about it from this perspective a lot. But aspirational learners, this is actually a rather large group of learners. These are people that are influenced or inspired to learn the language. So I admire people who can speak Chinese and I want to be like them. 
there is something about it, like it's about an identity aspect. They need role models. It's more like, I want to be a Chinese learner. I, it's about who I want to be, be known as someone like this. That aspect can be very important to these types of learners. And they need role models. They need to see people who are learning the language, who have learned the language, doing interesting things in their lives, accomplishing things. Fourth aspect, functional learners. I've never planned to learn Chinese, but my life will be easier if I learn to speak and communicate. Most of these people are living in China, Taiwan, other Chinese-speaking communities. There's also that desire to connect with people because now you're living in that, in that society. Some people also marry into some sort of families. I have a little anecdote about this. We talk sometimes about survival Chinese, when survival English happens. Anyone been there, right? But a lot of these people, they will go way beyond that as well, as long as that context is there for them to continue to learn and, and the need arises. Fifth, career-focused. We spend a lot of time talking about this in, in education, but learning Chinese is a path to a better job and career opportunities. That core motivation for them is opportunity, it's career. What we have seen is that this group skews lower in developed countries, and this group skews higher in less developed countries. Makes sense. Do you really need to be bilingual to succeed in your career here in the UK or in America? No, you don't. You don't have to do that. You don't have to learn a language. You could be monolingual your whole life and you can do very well. But in less developed countries, it provides a lot more opportunity. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later too. Last group, obligated learners. Learning Chinese is something I'm supposed to do, something I am expected to do. All right. Anyone know anyone like that in your classes? <laughs> yes. That's right. I should make the caveat. This data is focused on adult learners. 90 Six ninety-seven percent of our, our, our respondents were over 18. But don't worry, we're going to get how this applies to your students as well. Many of these people, they are Chinese ethnicity. Maybe they have Chinese parents and they're growing up in the English-speaking country outside of their native culture, their, their parents' native culture. The family is expecting them to learn. They're in programs and they're required to learn. But I just feel they're conforming to expectations. They're doing it because I'm told the motivation is largely extrinsic be told to do it and they're doing it. So let's boil this down and let's look at what, how this is distributed. And I actually put together this slide just for everybody here because we have 101 respondents from the UK. So this would be the proportionate allocation of these types of learners in the UK. Largest group here is language enthusiasts. Functional learners is 27%. Then it's aspirational learners, cultural connectors, career focused 5%, obligated learners 4%. This next slide, what I've done is I've taken out functional learners because we don't really have a lot of these functional learners in a classroom. And if you were just to look at who might be in a classroom of 25 students, but this is what the distribution would be in a classroom. You'd roughly have nine kids who could be language enthusiasts, six could be these cultural connectors, six would be aspirational learners, two career-focused learners, and two obligated learners. That is a very likely mix of potential learning motivations and learning reasons amongst your students in a 25-person class. Well, we have to remember that these are adults, but these are kids right now. And you have kids that are these types of learners in your class, but they don't know it. And so the real thing we need to realize is that we need to help students find their reason, their purpose, their motivation to learn Chinese. I'm a broken record. I can't, I don't know how many times I've said this to educators everywhere. A highly motivated student can learn even when using poor methods. 
an unmotivated student can avoid learning despite the best methods. And you all know exactly what I'm talking about. Now this applies to, I think, learning in general. But one of the quests for you as a Chinese teacher, an administrator, an educator, is to help these obligated students from your class, because most of them just are just obligated students, help them find what type of learner they can connect to. And as I go into this as well, I think it's important to remember it, the reason you started learning a language is not necessarily the reason you'll continue to learn a language. And there are learners will relate to multiple types at different times in their lives. Aspirational learners, how can we connect with them? They need role models, they need inspiration. Other people who are doing interesting things or who learn language. So we have, I'm gonna say her name around the test player, Emma. Thank you, I still can't hear right. Okay, right, John Cena, the actor, uh, you know, he speaks Chinese. You guys know who he is. I mean, he's, it's not fantastic, but he does it. Mark Zuckerberg speaks Chinese. Have you seen those videos of him? But he actually has a good knowledge. Da Shan. Who doesn't know Da Shan, right? Okay. Uh, Simulu and Xiaoma. So yeah, they need role models. So it's finding people, exposing them to people who are doing these interesting things with the language and who can speak Chinese. People that they can look up to. Cultural connectors. We try to expose them to Chinese culture, but also we've got to be careful what culture we're exposing them to. Even your own culture, there's things that you are attached to and things that you don't necessarily like. You, we, we need to make sure that we're relevant and, and passing on things to our kids of interest to them. Travel, adventure, friends, music, food, TV shows, martial arts, history. There are so many things that they can potentially connect to with the language and show them how that language can be a bridge to them to connect with these things in the language. Language enthusiasts. They're a bit more intrinsically motivated by that academic atmosphere, grades, challenges, measurable progress, writing characters, competitions. So a lot of these students will engage with these types of things and they like to see that. Career focused. So how to connect with them? Exposing them to more of this international potential careers. So we always talk, you can get a better job. Well, what better job? What can you really do with your language? We talk about the international diplomacy, political relations. Not a lot of kids are necessarily gonna be interested in this, but there are kids that latch onto this in business, interpretation, corporations. But this part, I always wanna make this point, is that in education, especially in language education, this is, it's no different than the United States. We focus so much on saying, learn a language, you're gonna get a better job. It's gonna help your career. You're gonna have more opportunities, okay? How old were you when you decided you knew what you wanted to do? How many of you are still trying to figure it out? Okay, right? So this is a, a relatively low salience to young children, but we almost seem to emphasize it the most. So there are those kids, and I, I, I've known some people that, you know, when they were, by the time they were 14, they knew what they wanted to do, and they did it. That is a minority. 5% of learners here in the UK are this type of learner. So I have a podcast. Yeah, you can learn Chinese. As a part of that podcast, we interview people who have learned the language and to share their experience and story. We actually have two people in this room who've been on my podcast, Emma Jamman and uh, Finley Davidson back there. Uh, but these are some of the people, I try to put as many uh, Brits on this as, as possible uh, that you may be familiar with. And this is interesting how this data and this research all kind of merged because I inherently knew this. I with this data I'm showing to you, I wasn't looking for this. I wasn't looking to explore motivation. 
and stuff. It, it came out of the data we have, which almost to me makes it more meaningful. But the one unifying theme between all our podcast guests is that they have a reason to learn. And without a reason to learn, you will never achieve any advanced or even maybe higher level of proficiency in the language. I don't like to use the, the fluent word. I call it the F word. Proficiency in the language. We have to remember that so one day these students will grow up to become these people. Will they become lifetime Chinese learners if they have a reason? Yes. This is from Yeats. Education is not the filling of a pot, but the lighting of a fire. Thank you very much. Okay, we've only got 10 minutes, so um, please fire away with questions. We've got some roving mics. Thanks, Jared. Uh, Matt Brady, head teacher of Astor School in Burley. Um, thank you very much for the inspirational messages, and uh, uh, hello to say hello to some of you. I'm going to do that. When I was on my PGC course, so the course that you, you do to train to become a teacher, it was 22 years ago, and the first question that was asked in that course was to put your hand up if you enjoyed school. <laughs> and, well, maybe you, you, you can probably work out what happened. Um, and virtually 98% of the room put a hand up because they enjoyed being in school and they wanted to become a teacher. And then they said, you're different. The difference that is going to be for you is that you're going to be in front of a class where they don't want to be in school. They don't want to be there. You mentioned the importance of motivation. And what do you feel, what have you seen over the years that has been the, the best school to motivate? I thanks for that question. So pretty much, what's the best tool I've seen to motivate? Um, I, I think uh, almost, I, I almost don't want to answer the question. I, I almost think I want to kind of turn that in a, from a slightly different angle. Because when we're talking about how do we motivate students, uh, to a degree we're talking about uh, how do we extrinsically motivate them. And I think what I'm presenting here, it's more about how do we help them find their intrinsic motivation to learn. And, and it's a tricky thing. It, it, I don't have the answers. I don't have all the answers. And, and this is the hard thing about this, is that I'm presenting to you guys theory here. I have some practical things. But it is difficult to translate that theory into actual practice in the classroom and connect all the students. And everybody's experience, and even if they say, okay, you're a cultural connector, what aspect of that culture are you connected to? And how many possible different things can you potentially connect to in the culture? And so... As a teacher, if you are going to really take the time and make sure I'm going to help try to help students find that intrinsic motivation, it will take time, focus, and individual effort. And as a teacher, you know how difficult that is. How many demands are you in your time and everything? Now, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for a lot more development of resources and even research and things. How do we help present some of these things and help foster it? But at the same time, we can also kill motivation intrinsic motivation, you know, whatever that is, it's fragile, isn't it? And, and so even though if you have someone who may have found that, we can also squash it pretty easy. So I, I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit dancing around your question, right? But it's, like I said, it's, I think it's a little bit different. It's more about helping them find it than giving it to them. And I guess that's something that you can't dig through AI. So that's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, a few years ago, I, I attended, um, conference and then there was a professor from a uh, university in America saying that there were a lot of students who were doing Chinese in school 
but then ended up quitting school or quitting um, Chinese learning in university. And she sort of said, well, this is partly your fault, um, teachers in secondary school. And we were like, um, yeah, you were saying something about something can kill the motivation. Can you give us some example? What kind of reasons that might stop student learning Chinese? I've actually looked into this quite a bit. I don't have hard, re hard data on this. This is largely anecdotal, okay? But and after many conversations specifically about this subject with dozens of teachers over the last few years, um, I think one of the hard things about Chinese is that it takes so much time and effort before you feel like you're able to do anything with the language. So that the feeling of accomplishment, feeling like you're actually progressing, getting somewhere, is really challenging. It's slow. And how many times have you been motivated to do something and something you chose specifically you wanted to do, but you ended up giving on it for a variety of reasons, but sometimes it just became persistently difficult. I'm trying to sum that up into something concise, but the difficulty, the time it takes to feel like you've actually made some sort of progress. I talk about this in my afternoon session a little bit more about reading and having actually graded readers and actually something simple. In our experience, and I've had many people come to me uh, Robert, I didn't pay Robert to say what he said about our before, but uh, um, you'll get your check later anyway. But, it, oh, I read a book in Chinese. I thought that this was something that would take me 10 years to do, and I could read it easily. That is a huge accomplishment, but there's, there's other ways to do it. I've had many people I've talked to say, oh, when I actually went to China, I actually ordered some baozi. It's difficult, and it's going to be different for everybody. I hope that answered your question. Thank you. We have here and then Jay. Thank you very much for your um, very inspirational uh, talk there. I'm a Mandarin teacher from East London. The reason why I'm mentioning the East, East London because I think uh, the demographic backgrounds of our students really need to be taken into consideration when we're talking about language learning. So the students that are in my school, they are largely from the uh, fat immigrant family. So they're first or second generation immigrants from different countries. So you, you would have thought actually having a language like English already change their life for their family, it would, you would have thought they should be motivated to learn language because that actually change your life. However, for my students, we think, oh, actually, I speak English, that would be enough. And I have another language at home. So why should I learn Mandarin? Not only Mandarin, because in my school, they also offer Spanish. They don't really see the point of learning another language. My question would be, how do you motivate these kind of students? So uh, our time is short. I'm going to answer it real quick because we have one more question from Jay. I've worked with a lot of Chinese immigrant families coming to the U.S. and the kids specifically. So I, I best I could relate to that is that sometimes the process of learning English, uh, yeah, they learn English. It can be a traumatic experience. Like they don't speak any English and they come into the system and they're the outsider. They don't feel integrated and they just want to fit in. And, and it's, it's really challenging. So I'm not surprised that some of these immigrant kids actually saying, no, I don't want to learn another language. That was hard. You know, that was not a comfortable experience for me. It was actually, you know, something like I have PTSD from that stuff, right? I'm not kidding, too. It's, and you'll realize they have some of issues, you know, later in life for that stuff. It's a deeper subject. I'm happy to talk to you maybe a little bit later, but it's a hard, it's a hard situation. Hi, so don't worry, mine's quick. I'm just wondering if you've seen anything in the state side in the U.S. education system that you think you do really well. Yeah, I, two things, two things. And I've been talking to a number of teachers yesterday, and I was visiting schools last week. But the concept of using real comprehensible input methods in classroom instruction. You know, we talk comprehensible input is a really important thing. But if you look at some of the uh, if everybody in the U.S. was doing this, it would be way better. But we have a wide range of teaching quality. 
but some of the most innovative stuff that I'm seeing out there is teachers that are using comprehensive input classroom instructional methods. And it's way different. Uh, and I've already showed it to a couple of teachers here, how they're approaching like new language and instructing it. It's not just like, this is a thing and repeat and writes things down and maybe translate and kind of drill a little bit. It's more of like they're weaving it into a story and they're repeating those vocabulary. Like within 10 minutes, they'll get say 50 times these things and how the story goes and there's different interactions. It's really fascinating that. And the second one I think is dual language immersion. In the United States, we have right now about 350 Chinese dual language immersion schools. So what it is is from year one, the kids have 50% of the day is in English, 50% in Chinese. And it goes like that through about through a year five. And then it's usually about 70, 30 after that, but they get math is in Chinese. Science is taught in Chinese. So Chinese itself is not a subject to something you're learning through the process. And it can be really helpful. It's good for budgets too, because you don't have to actually like, hire another Chinese teacher per se. It's more of like you have two teachers who are over 60 students in two classes and half the day they were with the English teacher and half the day it was Chinese teacher. So 80 of them are in Utah. Utah has kind of been the center of gravity for dual language immersion in the United States. Thank you. At the Squire Chinese Language Conference, there were a number of Chinese teachers in attendance who are native English speakers. So I sat down with six of them for speed interviews amid the hustle and bustle of the day. But to start off this segment, I took a few minutes to chat with Robert Neal, who helped organize the conference to tell us a little bit more about it. Stay with us. Hi, Jared. My name's Rob Neal. I'm from Manchester, and I coordinate the Squire Chinese Language Center there. Okay, uh, Robert, we're going to do a little different with you here. Tell us a little bit about Swire, Chinese language education here in the UK, and, and any relevant details for listeners out there related to that. Okay, well, I think the Swire group has been doing business in China for 150 years, and to celebrate that, they want to leave a legacy, make Mandarin Chinese a mainstream subject in British schools. So they've given um, a lot of money over 10 years, to um, help support the teaching, make it sustainable, carry out research, help um, take students on life-changing trips to China. And we have an annual conference, student conference, and also an annual Swire Chinese Language Day aimed primarily at teachers and senior leaders in school where we all get together and, and share best practice. Tell me about the student conference. Okay, the student conference is held every year at Manchester Grammar School. We get thinkers, journalists, high-quality people from leading newspapers and magazines and universities just to think about the UK and China, try and plant a few seeds in the students' minds about why learning Chinese is important, what sort of jobs they could do, and also understanding China beyond the headlines, thinking about the UK and China, um, how we can make a positive difference and just getting away from lazy stereotypes, but really understanding what's going on. So what were some takeaways from uh, this conference? So this conference we're at right now is you know, for Chinese teachers. But what were some of your big takeaways from this? Well, I think we learned a lot from you, Jared. I think we learned a lot about graded reading, comprehensible input. We're very good at preparing kids for tests. I don't think we're as good as just taking a step back and getting the enjoyment of learning Chinese, reading for fun. Um, obviously, you need to do other things like fluency development. Yeah, there is space for sort of explicit grammar, 
But I really like this balance and the idea of Paul Nation and his four strands. I know you've spoken about that on your podcast, but it really makes sense to me and how extensive reading fits into that, particularly just the meaning-focused input. Well, that's, that's great. It's kind of a global effort, really, to improve language education. Absolutely, and we've got a lot to learn from each other in Anglophone settings, and not just Anglophone settings, but all over the world. And we just want to make Mandarin a normal subject in schools, so it's not just a preserve of universities, but it's a realistic option for students around the world and uh, keep up the great work because what you're doing is really important and I just think if we can get kids reading books for fun in their free time then we're halfway there. That sounds great. I'm all for it. Well Robert I think we're going to see you again on a future podcast episode. Thanks Jared. Look forward to it. We're here at the Swire Chinese Language Conference here in Newcastle, UK. All right and I have here with me Dean. So Dean, go ahead and take it away. Tell us, tell us about yourself. Okay, so my name is Dean Robinson. I work for the Harris Federation in London and I'm based in um, South London at Crystal Palace and Peckham. Um, I'm a Chinese teacher and I teach between year seven and year 11. All right, Dean, why did you start learning Chinese? Oh gosh, right, so I started learning Chinese <laughs> Because, I mean, I'm, I love languages anyway, and I love cultures. And when it came to whichever language or culture I liked the best at the time, it was, it was China because I loved the food, I loved kung fu movies, I loved the people, I loved the culture, the history, so many things. So I thought, let's just try, see what this language is like. Um, and I thought, gosh, if I can do Chinese, then other languages that I want to learn are going to seem quite straightforward. So I took the dive. And? Okay, so this was a while ago now. Um, it was about, about 20 years ago when I first went to China. And um, that was a, um, before a lot of the um, development was happening. Now, the thing is, at that time, we didn't have things like Google Translate or Pleco. Um, we just had these dictionaries that I found very, very difficult to navigate. Oh, those are t- I know exactly what you're talking about. Right. So, um, okay. So initially for the first, I don't know, year and a half, I loved my Chinese learning journey. Um, It's just that after a while, I found that it got a bit too difficult, cumbersome to be looking up words in the dictionary all the time. It just took such a long time to do that. So I became a little bit disenchanted with it. I did go to China a few times though, and learning there and being an absorbing the language firsthand did make a really big difference but it wasn't until later on when the technology caught up a bit um, and I ended up sort of buying books like yours um, the easy easy read easy reading range of books that you can get I actually have been able to really improve my Chinese and one of the things I felt has made a big difference as well because it's only relatively recently that I've looked into becoming a Chinese teacher is having the goal to strive for of like using the Chinese for something because before I was just doing it because I really enjoyed it but now that I've got a reason to improve my Chinese my Chinese has now come a long way that's exciting that's that's really cool well tell me then what kind of advice do you give to someone who's learning Chinese right now first and foremost just be as inquisitive and excited about learning as you can don't worry about anything that's 
you, that might present itself as a hurdle or a hump because there's those in every language they exist in every language just feel really good about learning what what you're learning about Chinese um, also there's so much material out there now to help us with our Chinese learning um, it's good to have a teacher I find um, because teachers know about the pedagogy and they know how to sort of um, plan out the progress that you're going to be making with the language so it would be good to take lessons from from someone if you can who can direct you and guide your path other than that though there's some really good self-help material out there that can help you and the more you expose yourself to it is the more you'll just learn about learn the language and learn about the language and how to learn it as well because that that really does help as a learner knowing how to learn and you will learn how to learn Chinese that improves as well as your own Chinese speaking it's, it's a proper journey I have to say there's so much you can learn about yourself and your mind and the way it works just through learning this this language because it works differently to the way English works for example so you're going to experience a different kind of mental capacity that you might not have experienced before. I have to agree with that. Dean, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Zainab Khalid. I oversee uh, a department of seven Mandarin teachers uh, in Gosforth in Newcastle in the UK. Tell us why you started learning Chinese. It was actually a spur-of-the-moment decision. I did. I was very, I've been interested in languages for a long, long time, from when I was very, very young. So I picked up French and Arabic, but I've forgotten all of that in primary school. Um, picked up um, German in high school and learned it all the way through to A-level. Um, along with um, sciences, so I was fully intending to do sciences at university, but on the last-minute decision, I decided to go for languages. And so but, but, but why? Because I thought I really enjoy sciences, but I don't see it as a profession, and it would kill my passion for it. So I like it as a hobby. I like to dip in and out of it, but I couldn't do it for the rest of my life. Whereas I really, really enjoyed languages, learning about cultures and about people, and just the world around me that I, I'm not not like tuned into so I saw that there was degrees with ab initio languages and I saw that there was Mandarin offered and I'd never seen that before and I just applied on, on a whim. Oh, I, I know but there were other languages too you could have taken why, why Mandarin? Because I wasn't really I, I really couldn't see a direction going anywhere with Japanese and Arabic I have a little bit of Arabic so I could pick that up whenever I wanted to not that I have um, but Mandarin was totally new and I thought I can't tackle this by myself because I knew a little bit about the nature of the language before going into it and I thought I need a direction with this I know what kind of learner I am I need the direction I'm not very disciplined by myself so doing it at university will push me to do that and that's what I did so coming out of university my Mandarin is a lot better than my German mm. even though wow. I've learned German for longer so and I just really took to it it's just a totally different type of language whereas um, European languages people say are quite easy I would disagree I find that at a certain point with German as you get more advanced you it becomes more difficult and you kind of you know, the curve stops it flattens whereas with mandarin the more you learn the more it clicks you just exponentially grow your language so quickly and it becomes easier it definitely does so what advice would you give to someone learning chinese right now i would say i know it's tough at the beginning but as soon as you get in there with about a thousand characters it just goes up from there it's really really easy just don't give up just keep going and just, just stick it out and you'll get there and it'll click at some point and then it'll be like, right, why did I think it was so difficult to begin with anyway? Well, thanks for that, Zainab. I really appreciate it. Okay, so my name's Alex Tarbox. I live in Warrington in the northwest of England near Liverpool, where it is where I work. So I've been at this conference for 
um, Mandarin teachers across the UK with Swire. I teach in a girls' school, so there's a lot of applications I can take away from this. It's been really helpful. <laughs> All right, Alex, why did you start learning Chinese? So I did Spanish at school, and after that I was feeling like I was done with European languages, but it's two for the price of one at university. So I looked around and Chinese looked like the one that would open the most door and was the most interested. And I didn't speak any Chinese before I went to university. I just sort of dived right in and hoped for the best. And it's taken me a long way. Well, I, well, why did you stick with the language? I mean, you could have said, hey, you know, maybe this isn't my thing. Why did you continue to stick and study the language? I think once you, once you start something, you get a bug to, to keep going. Like, you get to a level where, for me, I got to a point where my Chinese was good enough that I could just keep adding vocab and adding vocab and getting better and better. And the more I learned about the culture, the more I became fascinated by the history of it, the, like, the food of it particularly. I love eating food. Like, if I can go to a Chinese restaurant, they give me extra large meals because I speak to them in Chinese. That's always an added bonus. I think the more you get into something, the more reward you get out of it. And so as I continued studying more and more and more, I was getting more and more of a return from it. And it was opening all these doors and helping me meet new people and everything. But it never really occurred to me to stop because I just kept seeing all the benefits. And yeah, it's like other things may have come up, but I was really enjoying what I was doing. And that just helped me keep going. So what advice would you give to someone learning Chinese right now? I think Chinese rewards perseverance. Like, it's very difficult to start, but once you reach a certain level, like, it really opens up. And Chinese allows you to express yourself really eloquently, and it allows you to really view the world in a different way. And if you can stick with it past the difficult times into the really easy times, the rewards are so big. Like, so everyone finds it difficult to begin with and everyone finds that really hard, but that, that's not permanent. It's not like it's always really difficult. You reach that level where you've kind of got an understanding and then, like, the world's your oyster. And, like, Chinese people love it when you speak Chinese to them. Like, it's great. Oh, they do. Well, Alex, thanks so much for uh, talking to us. Thank you. Hi, my name is Jay Smith. I live in Newcastle-upon-Tyne in the UK. I'm a former entrepreneur, business owner, but I'm now a teacher of Mandarin and other languages uh, in a state secondary school. Okay, Jay, why did you start learning Chinese? Uh, we're pretty random, to be honest. I would love to say I had a deep-rooted love for it, but it's absolutely not the case. I was picking my options for university. I knew I wanted to do languages. I knew I wanted to do Spanish, and then I thought, oh, you know, I want to try a new one, a challenge. And my sister, who'd just been traveling off the cuff, said, hey, I've just got back from China. Whether you like it or not, they're going to rule the world, so it might be useful. And that was it. <laughs> that was literally it. Ten years on, I'm still using Chinese, and I don't regret it for a second. But it was, to be honest, it was luck. It wasn't there. It, it was more I got into it and then kind of fell in love with it and have been working with it ever since rather than always been interested in it. But you didn't have to learn a language, though, right? Sure, of course. I mean, so why did you even say, okay, yeah, your, your, your sister says, okay, they're going to rule the world, you should learn Chinese, but you, it's not like you were trying to select between languages at that point. Why did you actually go for it? I, so I guess I just languages are that thing that I've always loved, just being adept at. Just, I just think it's that incredible way of, of breaking down boundaries and meeting new people. I think also my mom and dad used to speak French at the dinner table, and I didn't understand when, when they didn't want us to understand. So I basically from that was like, wow, that's cool. I want to be able to do that. So I guess uh, there's, some, there's some stuff from way back that's going to trigger it. But also, just as you grow up, I just 
the fact that it just enables you to get out there and meet new people. You just have experiences that you never ever would and it just opens up doors that you never ever would think there. So when I actually lived in China, I ended up really randomly on Beijing TV on a, on a talk show um, just by pure chance, just because I was the only Lao Wai in the office that spoke Chinese. In the UK, there's a show called The One Show, which is quite a big chat show on, on like tea time. And I ended up on that. Um, and that, that was literally, I, I was there on an internship. I'd been there a month, but I was the only Lao Wai that spoke Chinese. So there, there I was given the opportunity. So why did I do it? I guess I saw the, the, that it could open you into little situations like that that you'd never think you'd be in, I guess. All right, Jay, so what advice would you give to someone learning Chinese right now? Make the boring stuff fun, because there's a lot of boring stuff that you've got to do to learn anything. Essentially, words, le learning words is, is, if you learn words, you can speak a language. The grammar, you can figure out, but words, you just got to put some graft in. Uh, and you've got to make that fun. So obviously there's loads of online stuff you can you can check out. If you're a teacher or anyway listening, make the boring stuff fun because it is just a matter of learning words, getting them in your head. It, it's a pretty straightforward process, but making that engaging and entertaining is tricky. So use what's out there online to make it fun. If you're a teacher, make it fun for, you, for your students because otherwise no one's going to engage in something that's, that's so dry and mundane as that. So yeah, make it fun. There's a million ways you can make it fun, but that's a whole different conversation, I guess. Thanks, Jay. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Hi, my name's Tori Widowson. I'm a Chinese and a maths teacher uh, currently at Whitburn School, which is in Sunderland. Live in Whitley Bay. See dolphins on a regular basis. Uh, studied Chinese when there weren't that many places to study it in 92. All right, Tori. Why did you start learning Chinese? I did French A-level and I liked the idea of European languages, but I wanted to do something different and I had a really distinct set of ideas about it. So I, it was either going to be Japanese, Chinese, or Russian. And I was told that Japanese grammar was really hard, and I hadn't been very good friends with German grammar, so I, I knocked that one out. And Russia at the time, in the late 80s, wasn't uh, looking exciting. And a friend did Chinese and said, you'll love it, you'll love the history, you'll love the literature, you'll love it, do it. And I just did. Okay, you just did, but you didn't have to study a language you could have studied in something entirely different was there something just even about languages that drew you in yeah for sure and um, what I really liked about the languages is it kind of informs the thinking of the language of the language itself so I'd done French literature at uni and uh, sorry at A level and um, you get that sense of the language informing the culture and so if you don't understand the structure of the language and why certain words are popular and why they're used you don't get that insight into the thinking. So the idea of words like lordi in Chinese, um, rather than daoli, right? And you, you, so logic is, is done phonetically, and you think, but Chinese are very logical, but the way they talk about logic is different to the way we talk about it. So you don't get that insight unless you study the language. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, how have you seen Chinese language education change from this time you started learning till now, because you're a Chinese teacher? Well, I studied 92 to 96, and my first textbooks were the old Czechoslovakian communist textbooks where you have Gubo and Palanka. Wow. And uh, so that was a time where in chapter two, you're learning about the four modernizations. Um, so the current A-level of, you know, 1978 post-China economy is right up my street, but um, I'm glad to see that's changed. Um, obviously, we didn't have phones. Uh, we didn't, that sounds awful. We had phones, but we didn't have mobile phones. I'm not that old. Um, and we didn't have apps, so we didn't have this idea of memorization techniques, space repetition. Um, you just were making it up as you were go along, going along with flashcards. So I think obviously technology's got a huge amount to play now in how we introduce and space and repeat and find ways to memorize things in addition to then 
and then hopefully form a basis to be spontaneous because I think as I learned it was still very um, memorization um, sort of heavy um, you know I did um, classical Chinese I did classical Chinese poetry I did traditional characters from day one as well as modern characters and but we also did philosophy history um, and all the literature as well so I got the I got the grounding I would need to speak it later but I couldn't speak much by the end of my degree so what advice would you give to someone learning Chinese right now? Delve into the some of the apps around now. I mean, I really like Sixth Tone for the language, um, for the uh, wraparound learning around Chinese culture and, um, and what it really can show you over 10, 15 years about modernization, about China itself. And I think um, some of the, is it the Hacking Chinese guy uh, in Taiwan? Ah, oh, oh, fantastic. So some of the links on there where you can get right into listening resources and so on, and even sort of little Chinese radio broadcasts that you can get now via apps. You can find what interests you and listen and read about it in, your, in the second target language. And I think think that's motivating to students, not just Gubo and Palanka going on a shopping trip to buy a few bits of vegetables, you know, so yeah. Well, I'm glad things have changed. Well, thanks so much, Tori, for sharing that perspective with us. Thank you. So my name is James Stagg. I'm the Swire Chinese uh, Centre London lead at Harris Federation. I live in London and I currently lead a team of about four consultants who work with 30 teachers across 20 schools in in London teaching Chinese to kids from right the way at the beginning four years old three years old all the way up to 18 years old all right James why did you start learning Chinese I was really interested in languages from quite an early age and I loved German in particular and then when I went to do my A-levels I made different choices to languages but I kind of found at the end of my A-levels I was still really interested in languages and in the UK, the options you then have without the A level in a language, you can't you can't do a language like German or French or Spanish unless you have the A level. So I started looking at other languages and I thought, you know, what would be the most interesting? And and for me, it was Chinese and business with Chinese made a lot of sense. And once I got into it, you know, I just loved it. And you know, I love how it's so different. It's quite similar to German in some ways. And one of my friends, uh, one of my professors rather, was a uh, uh, German, a Germanist, uh, but native Chinese, and she just loved it. And when I went to university to visit before I actually started, she was a UN translator, and she started talking to me about German and Chinese and the, the similarities and where they sort of came from and how colonization in China with the Germans had sort of influenced some things. And I was just just fascinating. So real intellectual sort of curiosity about the language and how it works, being able to communicate with such a different group of people. It, it was it was fascinating to me, and I just love it. Well, why did you decide to continue? Well, I guess not continue. I mean, you, you did study in uni. How, how did you make that connection to the job that you're doing now? And, and there's some people that study a language and then never actually do something with it afterwards. So maybe you could talk about that. Uh, yeah, I think I, even from quite a young age, I sort of always wanted to be a teacher. And I think... When I when I was learning at university, I didn't really have the best experience learning Mandarin. I found it it was quite dry. It was a bit dull at times. It was very confusing. You know, the expectation from the teachers wasn't always clear, and I found that quite difficult. And teaching was a sort of natural pathway for me. And I, I did I did go backwards and forwards between primary and secondary for a long time. But I think for me, it was making sure that children and and young adults, I guess, have a really good experience learning a language because it's such a fun 
thing to learn and it's an interesting thing and you can make it really exciting and really purposeful and really just fascinating to to kind of go through that process of learning a new language and seeing how people think is fascinating and I wanted it to be fascinating and I wanted the kids to be interested and passionate about it so I kind of went down the secondary route because I thought more specialists you can really engage students and I've been I've been you know very lucky to have two or three students go on to university and study Chinese and some of them well, well one of them in particular came back to me about five years later she just graduated from university in Chinese and she just said thank god you came as the teacher because because it would have I wouldn't have done it if, if it hadn't been for you coming and she loves it and she still loves it to this day after 10 plus plus years of, of learning Chinese and what advice would you give to someone who's learning Chinese right now I think um stick with it yeah I mean I think it's it's hard work but it's well worth it um I think you just got to keep going with it do a little bit every day a little bit don't overwhelm yourself don't get stressed about it you know do a little bit every day uh, and eventually there is that that time where it sort of it clicks and you sort of go oh yeah okay I understand that now um, and that will come sometimes you think oh I'm never I'm just never going to understand this but it will come keep with it stick with it and and you'll be able to get that first couple of sentences where you sound really fluent and you sound just really cool <laughs> That's great. Well, James, thanks so much for taking the time to share your story with us. Thank you, Jared. You have been listening to the You Can Learn Chinese podcast. Help us spread the word by sharing this with your friends, classmates, teachers, cousins, camp counselor, volleyball coach, seesaw acrobat, pull-up champion, that one guy named Ethan. Please subscribe to our podcast and share it with a friend. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a review. You can also reach out to us at mannercompanion.com or at mannercompanion on social media. Apologies to John Cena. We just ran out of time. You Can Learn Chinese podcast is produced by myself, Jared Turner, and our editor for this episode is also myself. I'd like to thank the Swire organization for making this episode possible and our special guests, Robert Neal, Dean Robinson, Zainab Collett, Andrew Thomas, Jay Smith, Tori Whittleson, James Stack, and of course, thanks to my co-host, the man, the myth, the legend, John Paston. See you next time.